Good day, poker peeps. My name is Sky, and I appreciate you spending some of your study time with Smart Poker Study. So I'm thinking you're really going to enjoy today's podcast because I'm going to help you get closer to what I call poker's fantasy land. What is this, you might ask? Well, fantasy land, it's being in the most profitable spot with every hand that you choose to play. It's seeing every flop in position as the pre-flop raiser against one other player. So you might be wondering, is it really possible to reach poker's fantasy land where every single hand you're in a bread and butter spot? Well, probably not. (laughs) Maybe most definitely not, right? But in this podcast today, I'm going to help you get as close to fantasy land as you can. So I highly recommend that you whip out that poker journal right now. Excuse me while I whip this out. (laughs) And start taking notes on what you learn here. And to help you take notes, go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash fantasyland. You can follow along with the transcript of this episode as you listen. Okay, let's do this. Gambate! We win, and they get the chips. That sucks, dude. Dude, I'm telling you, it's jobs. We gotta get jobs. Then we get the khakis. Then we get the chicks. Starting tomorrow, we gotta stop playing games. So like I said at the start, Poker's Fantasyland would be in a bread-and-butter situation with every single hand that you choose to play. And of course, that's impossible. But just because it's impossible does not mean that we can't get more bread and butter than we do now, and it doesn't mean that we can't get more than all of our opponents do. Now, for those who are unsure or don't know this term, bread and butter, bread and butter is when you're in position on the flop as the pre-flop raiser, and you're up against one other opponent. And two other opponents, that's okay, that's still bread and butter. And I learned this term, bread and butter, from Tommy Angelo in his classic book, Elements of Poker. So here's a quick breakdown of why bread and butter situations are the most profitable. Part one was you're in position. Having position gives you more information. It also kind of intimidates your opponents. You know how you hate playing out of position. So do they quite often. This additional information plus the intimidation leads to more power in every single hand, which ultimately leads to more profits. The second part of bread and butter was you're the preflop raiser. That means that you have pocket kings, pocket aces, all the strongest hands in your range, but your calling opponent probably doesn't. Plus, as the preflop raiser, you can make c-bets, and those are powerful ways to extract more value when you hit a a good flop, or it's a great way to get players to fold. And the third part of bread and butter is that your head's up, or two players, or, you know, up against two opponents, but heads up is the best. Now, decisions are so much easier when you're facing just one other opponent. And that's why it's so good to be heads up. So you control the hands that you choose to play. If you don't want to raise, if you don't want to call, if you don't want to 3-bet, you can just fold a hand, right? Because of this control that you have in the hands that you choose to play, you can purposefully work to put yourself in as many bread-and-butter situations as possible. By doing this, you're choosing to take more steps towards fantasy land as opposed to taking steps away from it by making a lot of calls. Speaking of walking away from fantasy land, why would you ever walk in the opposite direction of fantasy land? Why would you choose, purposely choose to enter hands when you are not in the most profitable spot? 
Well, I think the most simple answer is you're sometimes in situations where the non-aggressive plays of, you know, making a call pre-flop or post-flop as well, those can be positive EV or positive expectation of winning chips. Like somebody open raises just to two big blinds and you're in the big blind with pocket threes to call one big blind to set mine, probably a positive EV situation to put yourself in. Now let's get into calling just a little bit more. Uh, the more preflop calling you do, the further you get from fantasy land. Now, strong, profitable poker, it requires that you raise preflop more often than you call. So let me ask you a question. Are you more of a caller? I want you right now, in your database, pause the podcast, or maybe you know this already. What is your VPIP and your PFR percentages? If the gap between those two If it's higher than your PFR, then you're more on the passive side of things. Let me give you some examples. If you look at a table and you see a 40 slash 5 player, the gap between the two is 35%. That 35% is way bigger than his preflop raise of just 5%. Super passive player. Actually, this is the kind of fish that you're targeting when you're playing your bread and butter poker going for that fantasy land. Now, another example, you see players like this all the time as well, 20 slash 9. 20%, they might look like kind of a tight player, right? But that 11% gap between 20 and 9%, that's greater than their 9% PFR. So in general, this person calls way more than they raise preflop as well. The greater that gap is than your preflop raise percentage, the more steps you're taking away from Fantasyland. And that 40 slash 5 player, holy cow, Fantasyland is like 2,000 miles away from that guy. Now, playing out of position, that's also opposite of bread and butter or antithetical to bread and butter. The most common spot where we're out of position is probably calling from the blinds. And that's obviously going to lead to an out of position uh, situation on the flop. But if you limp in the early position and the MP, that also puts you in a lot of of out-of-position flops. And if you are the kind of player that raises very frequently from EP and MP, well, you raise a lot, you have a wide range, you're going to get a lot of callers and a lot of three-betters in position against you. You're just asking to be out-of-position on the flop when you raise pre-flop with those wide early position and middle position ranges. Now, another thing that leads you further away from poker's fantasy land is tiny bet sizing. Let me ask you a question. Do you raise it to a size that invites lots of callers? So, for example, just imagine you can open raise two big blinds or three big blinds. Which one is going to more likely get callers? The two big blinds, right? They're going to call with every suited hand, every Broadway, every ace, and every connected hand is going to call you in some way. Jack-10 offsuit, Jack-10 suited, 9-8 suited, all that jazz. So what you need to do is raise to the table's pain threshold. The goal behind that is to just get one caller and also avoid those three bets. I'm sure you've done this before and you've actually seen it quite often. Somebody open raises two big blinds and you make it just six big blinds as a three bet. When you do this, you're just asking for late position players and the original raiser. They're just going to call you because you made it way too small. Even though you three bet, it's an aggressive action. But that bet sizing just is not telling your opponents to stay away. So this is going to invite more calls and 
potentially some bluff four bets because you made it so small they might see weakness right there. And probably when you're three betting, in general, you don't want to face four bets unless you have some of the strongest hands. Now here's a new term for you. Bread and butter blockers. Now in poker, when we say blockers, we often think about holding an ace or holding a club on a three-club board. Well, bread and butter blockers, those are people who love to call or three-bet from later positions. They're the kind of players that I teach my students to be. One of the things I tell all my students is three-bet the loose players when you have position against them. It puts so much pressure on those open raisers. Well, I'm basically teaching my students to be bread and butter blockers. When you call somebody's open raise from late position or three bet them, you're automatically taking away their opportunity for bread and butter in the hand. That's what you want to watch out for. Watch out for the players who are still left to act in the hijack, the cutoff, the button, who are capable of calling in order to exploit their position against you or capable of three betting against you. You don't want these bread and blood bread and butter blockers to block that bread and butter potential. Now, when you have a lot of bread and butter blockers still left to act after you open raise, that oftentimes leads to multi-way pots, and that's anti-bread and butter as well. So when the cutoff and the button, if they both like to call, I mean, so be it. You've got pocket aces. You've got to open raise, right, to three big blinds maybe. But the cutoff player calls. The button calls. Depending on the blinds, the cutoff call and the button call sweet into the pot, you could get a small blind and a big blind call. Now you've got five players in a multi-way pot. You're out of position against the cutoff and the button, and you have pocket aces. It's not the worst situation to be in, but now you're kind of like tossed in a field of landmines, right? You're far away from poker's fantasy land, far away from bread and butter. So you got to watch out for those landmines there. All right, I'm about to give you some tips to get you more bread and butter to put you closer to poker's fantasy land. But I want to do a quick shout out here. I've got to thank these incredible poker peeps for getting my hand reading workbook. I got to thank Brian Roy, Andrew Duffy, Jose Santos, Keith Rawson, Richard Cook, Axel Nowak, Robert Bronstein, David Hogan, David Neal, Keith Smith, Chris Martin, Scott Verachik, Thomas Westgate, Ding Kin. Roy Nichols, Courtney Smith, Jose Valdivieso, and Enzo Lagodi. You all went to smartpokerstudy.com slash workbook. You know that you need poker's number one skill of hand reading in order to play your best poker and to study your best poker. So thank you so much for getting the hand reading workbook, everybody. If you want it for yourself, go right now. Smartpokerstudy.com slash handreadingworkbook. As long as you're willing to put in the work and do the hand reading exercises, I guarantee this workbook is going to set you off on a brand new poker journey where hand reading is going to be a critical component of all the profits you're going to make. All right, so let's get you closer to poker's fantasy land. We have to be the preflop raiser as often as possible and search out those bread and butter situations. So here's what you're looking for. I'm going to give you five points right here to look for. 
What I want you to do is put these five points on a sticky note for quick in-game reference. So as you're playing in your sessions tonight, tomorrow, next Monday, next week, next year, whatever it is, I want you to have these notes in front of you because if all of these things are in place and you actually pull the trigger on open raising or three betting or whatever the play is, the, the aggressive pre-flop play, you're going to get bread and butter and you're going to put yourself closer to poker's fantasy land. So point number one is to look ahead and avoid bread and butter blockers. Now, this is something that not everybody does. You look down at your hand and you see King Jack suited and you know, hey, this is a great hand to open raise. I always open raise with this. But before you open raise or ISO raise or three, whatever you're doing, always pay attention to the player still to act before you enter the pot and look out especially for bread and butter blockers. Okay, point number two, open raise when the most likely caller is in the blinds. You want that caller to be out of position against you. Small blind and big blind are the most likely spots where you're going to get callers anyway, but you want them out of position uh, for that bread and butter. Point number three, size your raises large enough to limit re-raises and to limit callers. So you want to make your isolation raises over those limping players. You want to make that large enough to convince everyone else to exit the pot and give you that limper all to yourself. He's the weakest player, one of the weakest players at the table. He limped into the pot, right? A very weak play. You want him to yourself. Make it a big enough size. If you just make it three big blinds, there's a good chance you're going to get called or three bit by other players. So go four, five, six, whatever you think you need in order. Like, like I said earlier, hit that pain threshold. Make it big enough to get that limper all to yourself. And of course, when you're open raising, make that large enough, two and a half, three, three point five big blinds, four big blinds if necessary. You've got to feel that out in game. There's no one sized fit all here. Now, when it comes to the sizing, of course, the same thing with three bets, right? You want all of your opponents to fold or just one player to call. So choose a size that achieves that. Six big blinds ain't gonna cut it. All right, so point four, choose hands that you're comfortable seeing the flop with. Here's the thing. You're going for bread and butter after all, right? You basically want to be on the flop in position as the pre-flop raiser against one other player. You kind of want callers. You're not necessarily just stealing the pot outright. So you got to expect one or two callers. If you expect somebody to call, you should have a hand that you're comfortable playing with on the flop. Now the last point, point number five here, plan for how you can steal the hand post-flop. So along with that prior point, you know that somebody's going to call you. You're expecting a caller. What tendencies can you exploit in that caller to help you steal the pot post-flop? Are they honest on the flop? Are they honest on the turn? Do they hate two-thirds and three-quarter pot bet sizing, but they quickly call half pot? You have to figure out what you can do to steal the pot because, basically, as you know, most hands miss most flops. You're not going to have a pair. You're not going to hit a set. You're not going to flop a flush most of the time. You're going to have to bluff quite often, so figure out how you can do it. Now, here's a pro tip for you. As you're playing, especially over the next three sessions, if this is your first time really hunting for bread and butter, I want you to use a bread and butter tick sheet. In this tick sheet, on a piece of paper in front of you, write down B and B. That's one column. In the other column, write down not B and B. So 
Every time you see a flop, before you make your flop play, it's your job to make a tick mark in the appropriate column. If you just now entered a bread and butter spot, so make a tick mark under the bread and butter column. If you ended up calling uh, in the big blind, if you raised and the button called and you're not bread and butter, put a tick mark under not bread and butter. The goal is to have more bread and butter tick marks than not bread and butter tick marks. Challenge! So here's my challenge to you for this episode. I want you to strive to reach poker's fantasy land. That means you're going to go for as much bread and butter as possible. No matter your hole cards, before you make your preflop play, ask yourself, can I get bread and butter in this hand? Make sure to keep that sticky note in front of you as you play. Here were those five points once again. Point one, look ahead and avoid bread and butter blockers. Point two, open raise when the most likely caller is in the blinds. Point three, size your raises large enough to limit re-raises and callers. Point four, choose hands that you're comfortable seeing the flop with. And point five, plan for how you can steal the hand post-flop. Now it's your turn to take action and get as close to Poker's Fantasyland as you can. Oh, that's it now. Get out there and be somebody. Go write a book. Alrighty, thank you so much for listening. But your learning isn't complete until you go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash fantasyland. If you want to learn poker's number one skill of hand reading, you have to get the hand reading workbook, smartpokerstudy.com slash hand reading workbook. I guarantee if you're willing to put the work in, this is going to teach you poker's number one skill, smartpokerstudy.com slash hand reading workbook. Until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be. 